probably will at some point, but uh, uh, Psalms is a, lot, a long, long book with 150 chapters, uh, and just taking one chapter a week uh, would take us 150 weeks. That's half a year. And, uh, and so that's quite, no, I'm sorry, that's three years. This is why I don't do math on the fly. I always do it before I get to the pulpit, because um, you don't want me to do math on the fly. And, uh, and so, and I can promise you this, uh, that I can assure you when we hit Psalm 119, we will not cover that in one week. I'll just tell you that right up, right up front. That's, a, that's probably an eight-weeker right there. I mean, it's got 156 verses in it, and, uh, and they're broke up by, by groups of eight. And so, uh, so we'll, we'll see where we go and how we go through this. It is, the book of Psalms is divided into three books, and so we may go through book one and then take a break and hit something else and then go back and do book two, and uh, we'll do something. But, uh, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. And uh, I've been enjoying it, and I hope and pray it's a, a blessing and a help to you. I feel like it's a great Wednesday night book study uh, because it's just a lot of encouragement and a lot of uh, help uh, from the book of Psalms. And, uh, and this evening, Psalm chapter number 10, really we have a frustration with the wicked. And you'll see it, it's really, there's clear, two clear dividing markers. Verses 1 through 10 uh, really is one section, and verses 11 through 18 is the second section. And uh, that's pretty clear. You'll see in the first 10 verses, it is all about the wicked. I mean, he mentions wicked many times, and, uh, and, and really you can, you can feel the frustration of the psalmist coming off the page as we read that. And then after that, uh, it is really a request and it is a prayer that he's asking to God uh, to, to, to intercede. And, uh, and so as we look at this psalm, Psalm chapter number 10, uh, start with me in verse number 1. We'll just read. I'll read out loud. You can read quietly. The Bible says this, why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is, in all, God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. The, thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never... I shall never be in an adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the village. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for your word that we can look into it. God, we can see 
uh, so many things that are, are helpful and a blessing to us. And Father, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me as we look at your word and as we look at this psalm. And we do sense, Father, the frustration of, of the righteous, of the psalmist, with the wicked deeds that take place. And Father, we certainly can empathize with that. We certainly can uh, echo that sentiment many times in our life. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, bless tonight. I pray that you'd use me, speak through me, and help each and every person. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we read that, uh, I started thinking, boy, that was probably not the most edifying passage to read, right? Uh, but, but when we get to the second half of that psalm, uh, I can guarantee you it will be much more encouraging than the first part of the psalm. Uh, I just felt, I, I just feel like we just watched a portion of the evening news. That's really what I feel like. I mean, uh, just this and that and all the bad that is taking place. But you can certainly sense and feel the frustration of the psalmist in those first 10 verses. But I want you to notice in verse number one, really the surprise uh, of the psalmist. Look at what he says there. He says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thy, thou thyself in times of trouble? And you almost sense a, a sense of surprise. Like, why is the Lord not doing something about this wickedness that is going on? How many of you have felt that way? Raise your hand. Uh, man, I put both of my hands up because I, there are many times in my life I have felt that way. I mean, I've been frustrated. I'm like, Lord, don't you see this wickedness that is going on? And we kind of be, we can be, we can be agitated. We can be frustrated because of wicked things that are taking place. You know, I find that most of those times uh, we're frustrated is when wickedness strikes close to home. That's when we tend to get frustrated. You know, we watch the evening news, we read about things that go on, and, and it bothers me. I mean, I watch those things, and, and it frustrates me. But when it's closer to home, that's when I'm going to, on my knees in prayer, and I'm saying, Lord, do you see this situation that's going on? Uh, kind of like uh, in Nehemiah when he was rebuilding the walls, and, and, and he, said, he said, Lord, look at what they're doing to me. Uh, look at how they're attacking. Look at how they're against this. And, and that's when we tend to uh, ask the Lord, hey, are you, going, are, you, are you aware of what is going on? And, uh, and certainly we feel frustrated at times. Certainly the psalmist here uh, was frustrated. You can see that. Uh, he was, why was he surprised? He was surprised and frustrated, I think, by the actions of the wicked. And, uh, and boy, there's no doubt that these were some wicked actions that were taking place. But I think also uh, he was surprised perhaps by the, uh, I don't want to say the absence of God, but the absence of God's judgment maybe would be a better way of phrasing that. And what do I mean is, is that God was withholding his judgment or it did not seem like God was judging those people at that time. And I know we've talked about this and it comes up frequently in the word of God that, uh, man, sometimes we're just like, God, don't you see and won't you do something? And listen, God is long-suffering. And when it's us that's on the receiving end, we're grateful that God is long-suffering. But when it's other people that, that, are, that are maybe bothering us or causing us problems, then we're like, God, you need to do something about this. But God is long-suffering, and God is, is gentle, and God is patient. 
And, and we're, when we receive that, we ought to be thankful, but we ought to understand that, hey, sometimes God is not going to act uh, on our timetables, but it does not mean that God is not there. He asks two questions. Basically, he says, why standest thou afar off, O Lord? In other words, God, where are you in a location type sense? Uh, how come you're not uh, attentive to this and why are you not paying attention to this? And I can assure you this, that God, even during this time of the psalmist's life, was alive and he was well. And he was right there and he knew what is going on. And so uh, we understand that, uh, but, but let us take the same lesson to our own lives and say, you know what, God is aware of our situations. God is aware of the trials that we go through. God is aware of the difficult things that take place in our life. Uh, and so God is there. And God is aware of what is going on. So his first question is, where is God? And God certainly was there, uh, just that God was not working or chose to withhold judgment at that time uh, for his purpose. The second question he asks, uh, basically, why hidest thyself in times of trouble? Is not, uh, in, in both of those questions, it's kind of the idea of, God, why are you not involved? In other words... Uh, God, it seems like you're distant, and God, it seems like you are not involved in what is going on here. And I'm reminded of this verse. Matter of fact, go over there with me. Go to Isaiah chapter 55. I want you to see this verse in the Word of God, and it might be, might be good to underline it. It might be good to mark it in your Bible and note it down. Isaiah chapter 55, because it's especially those times when things are difficult for us, it's especially those times when we're feeling like God is distant and he's not dealing with something that we think he ought to deal with that, uh, that we can really become frustrated or we can really scratch our head and say, where is God and what is God doing at this time? Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 8 Isaiah 55 and verse number 8. The Bible says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth's, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so we need to understand that, we need to understand that God is not like us. And we ought to thank God for that, to be honest, because uh, we tend to be very judgmental. We tend to be very quick. We tend to be uh, very impatient with, with circumstances and situations. But we need to remind ourselves that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways of dealing with things are not our ways. They are very different. They're very unique in how they play out. And he, and he makes no bones about it. He tells us in this verse that his ways are higher. They're superior than our ways. And we need to understand that, and we need to realize that about God. And so the psalmist uh, starts out this Psalm, psalm nine or Psalm 10 with the question, a few questions, almost with a surprise, or almost with, uh, you could even say, a sorrow that's saying, hey, I wonder why God's not involved, or I wonder why God has not dealt with this situation. 
And, uh, and I, can, I can assure you that God is aware and God is alive and God is not dead, uh, but God is also very long-suffering and God is also very patient. And, uh, and God deals with things differently than we would deal with things. And so we can see that. But I want you to look in verses uh, 2 down through 11, really, and we can see not only the surprise in verse number 1, but I want you to see the scrutiny of the wicked, the scrutiny of the wicked. And uh, in verses 2 through 6, he gives us, he paints us the picture, really, of arrogance. Look with me there in verse number 2. The Bible says, uh, in verse number 2, the wicked, what does it say there? In his pride doth persecute the poor. Look with me and down there in verse number 4. The wicked through the pride of his countenance. And we see more pride. And, uh, and really, it's a lot of arrogance that is causing uh, all these actions to take place. Now, arrogance can cause a whole lot more than just these actions, but he lists at least five things, four things, uh, that, that are in this passage that are a cause uh, or a result of this arrogant mentality uh, that he presents here in Psalm chapter 10. Look with me in verse number 2 again. He says there, the wicked in his pride, what does he do? Doth persecute the poor. Persecute means to pursue in a manner to injure, grieve, or afflict. You know what? It's just plain out cruelty. Uh, to try and uh, torture or inflict pain or inflict some kind of persecution on somebody else. And, uh, and, and really, uh, somebody who thinks they're superior to somebody else will attempt to do those kind of things and cause pain on other people. And then also you notice it's inflicted on the poor. Um, and the object of the persecutions, those are those who are really not able to protect themselves. And, uh, and it's amazing how often that takes place. Uh, and boy, that's, that's a result, he says there, uh, because it's in his pride doth he persecute the poor. And so we find that uh, really it causes cruelty. Uh, look with me in verse number four. Not only does it cause cruelty, it also causes uh, this in verse number four. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. It causes him to be self-sufficient. In other words, why do I need God? I can provide for myself. I can take care of myself. I'm good enough for, for anything that I need. And there is no need of God in his life because his arrogance proclaims that he is self-sufficient and he has absolutely zero need to seek after God in his life. And so it causes self-sufficiency. It causes uh, a desire to not even bother to seek after God. It causes grief. If you look there in verse number 5, he continues this thought uh, in verse number, from verse number 4. Uh, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Verse 5, his ways are always grievous. Uh, it causes grief. Uh, because God is not in his thoughts. The ways of God do not occupy his thoughts. Uh, he is his own self-sufficient person, and therefore everything that he does is, is contrary to the word of God, because that's what a selfish person is going to end up doing. They're going to live contrarily to the word of God. 
And so we find uh, the, this arrogance will cause all of this. Not only that, but look in verse number 5. Again, the, end, the last part. It says, uh, Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. And so it causes cruelty, it causes self-sufficiency, it causes grief before God and, and before other people. And then it, it causes a short-sightedness. In other words, he does not think that, hey, he'll be held accountable for any of his actions. God doesn't occupy any of his thoughts. The authority of God, the judgment of God, uh, he puts them out of his mind. He does not desire to think about them because if he thought about them, it would be a scary thought. It would be something that he would not desire to think about. Because to stand before God and give an account uh, is a scary thought for somebody who has lived a wicked life and practices cruelty. And so we see the arrogance there in verses 2 through 6. Look with me at the actions that it also produces. Not only are those, uh, they, does it cause cruelty and self-sufficiency, there's a whole bunch of things that it gives us. And we'll just run through these. I won't dwell on them. But look at what he says there in verse number 7. His mouth is full of cursing. Verses 7 down through 10, uh, or 7, rather 7, I guess it is, really talks about the tongue. And, uh, and look at the four things five things that the tongue uh, is caused to say by, by wickedness and this arrogance. Uh, it says, his mouth is full of cursing, that's number one, and deceit, that's number two, and fraud, that's number three. Under his tongue is mischief, that's four, and vanity. And there's five things right there. Cursing, uh, that's wishing evil on others, others. And usually cursing and profanity go hand in hand, obviously, because uh, somebody wants to uh, really insult somebody, then they use all these profane words and language. And, and I've mentioned this before. Boy, it has it is become more uh, prolific in our culture today. It just really is. It's almost to the point where people can't carry on a normal conversation without using profanity. Uh, it's really quite amazing. Uh, but that's the society we live in. And, and so there's cursing. There's deceit. I lumped these two together, though uh, they are different. Deceit and fraud, uh, while they're closely related, deceit would be maybe lying to hide guilt. Okay, uh, maybe lying for, for any other reason. There's deceptful means there that, that for one reason or another reason, where fraud would be, it'd be the use of def deceit, but it would be used for personal gain. And, uh, and so I know they're very similar. I know they're very close, uh, but there is a, a fine line of difference there. And, uh, and so fraud would be to try and gain something uh, so that they could, uh, they could profit from it. And then mischief, in verse, num verse number 7, it says there as well, it says mischief, uh, which is just causing general problems for others. And then vanity, that would be uplifting self. And boy, the Bible talks about it in James. I, I went there and read it earlier, and I, I, I didn't put it in my notes, but, uh, but the Bible talks about how the tongue is, is, a, is, is a wicked, wicked device, and it can be used for wicked. And, and we see here that, boy, it really is. It's used for all sorts uh, of, of wickedness. And these are the actions. As we look at this wicked person, look at the technique in verse number 8 down through 9. Uh, it says there, he sitteth in lurking places. You read these, and it takes me immediately back to, to uh, the book of Proverbs, uh, specifically chapter 1. And, uh, and, and you think, oh, 
Well, you know, David was Solomon's father, and there was a lot of wisdom that David had that he passed on to his son, and certainly God gave uh, Solomon that wisdom ultimately, uh, but, but you can see a lot of the contrast, a lot of the similarities about the wicked one setting and waiting for, uh, to take advantage of somebody. Uh, lurking, it uses that word, and hiding. In verse number 9, it kind of gives us the whole picture in, a, in a, an illustration. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. And so we see uh, all of these actions that he's, he's trying to catch people that are unsuspecting. And then look at his attitude in verses 9 down through 11 we find uh, several things. Uh, he looks for easy targets. We've mentioned that verse number nine, it, he waits for the poor. Uh, in verse number, it, matter of fact, it mentions the poor several places. And, and who would that be? Generally, that's children, orphans, widows, uh, people who are, uh, do not have as much ad, ad things or advantages in life. And, and he's there to take advantage of those people. And he looks for them to fall. That's his idea. In verse number 10, it spells that out, uh, that, that he could cause them to fall. And, uh, and then look at verse number 11. It says, he hath said in his heart, this is the wicked person talking, God hath forgotten, he hideth his face, he will never see it. That's what the wicked really think. They think God's not. If they do think of God, they put it in their mind, He's not paying attention. He doesn't have any clue what's going on. He hasn't seen this because if they face the reality of God does see, God does take notes, God does know what's going on, then that puts them in a very scary place because they know they're wrong. They know in their heart that the things that they're doing is wicked. And so we see a scrutiny uh, of the wicked. I mean, he lays it out here with the actions, the uh, the the really the arrogance, the actions, and then the attitude that he has. Look with me in verse number 12, and we'll see the supplication. And this supplication, this is, we're, we're down at the bottom of the hill. We're all depressed at this point. But look with me in verse number 12. It's going to get better. He says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. He goes on in verse number 13, Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Verse number 14, Thou hast seen it. For thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. And we see his supplication as he starts to pray and to turn all of this over to God and say, God, you, you see all the wicked, you see their attitude, you see their actions, you see their arrogance, you see all of the things that they are accomplishing. But then he says, uh, he requests action from God. He said, God, arise. And, uh, and don't forget, in verse number 12, uh, don't overlook the humble. Don't overlook the forsaken. Don't overlook those that are uh, maybe the fatherless or the widows or those that are poor. And certainly God has not forgotten that. We need to understand that. And, uh, and so he's saying, hey, here's the action that I'm asking. But look at with me, uh, and he asks for not only that, but he says in, in verse number 14, to requite. That would be to repay. 
the wicked for their wickedness. Look at verse number 15. He asks it to be completely eliminated. In verse 15 he says, Break thou the arm of the wicked of the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. In other words, hey, I want you to eliminate all the wickedness until it's all gone. Hey, listen, we can pray with faith. We ought to pray with faith. And he's making some, some great requests to God. These are, uh, those are big requests. But listen, we serve a big God. And, and we certainly can ask of God. There's nothing wrong with asking and going to God and asking in faith. And we see a great amount of faith as exhibited by the psalmist as he, as he requests these things of God. Look at the attributes of God that are spelled out in this passage. Look with me in verse number 14. He says, thou hast seen it. But that's spelled out throughout the Bible. God doesn't miss a beat. God knows what's going on. Sometimes we think, well, God won't see it or God misses it or uh, no, listen, God doesn't miss it. God knows what's going on. God's very aware of what is going on. And, uh, and so God is paying attention. Look at verse number 14. We see another thing it's, that's, that's a blessing. The last phrase, thou art the helper of the fatherless. Listen, that's a, that's a blessing to know that God is watching out for those who uh, maybe are less fortunate, uh, that don't have a dad, that are, that are fatherless, as it says here. And that God pays attention to those. Look in verse number 15, or verse number 16, excuse me, I love this. It says, the Lord is king forever, and the heathen are perished out of his land. We've seen that before in another psalm. And, uh, and it's looking forward, saying, you know what? God's going to outlive every wicked person. And God ultimately is going to rule in the end, and in the end righteousness lives. And so listen, we, we look at things, we get frustrated, we become discouraged, we look at all the, the wickedness in the world and we think, boy, it's a frustrating and it can be discouraging. But listen, God wins at the end. We need to remind ourselves, we're on the winning side. The teenagers should sing that song. I love that song, we're on the winning side. And, uh, and praise the Lord, we are. We need to remind ourselves of that. Um, and, and so we need to understand that. Not only that, but look with me in verse number 17. Lord, thou hast heard the desires of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear to judge the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may no more oppress. I love verse 17 because you know what it says? It says, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Hey, listen, you know what that tells me? When we go to God in prayer, that He's listening. Hey, He's, he's willing to hear us. What a blessing to know that any time in our life when we humble ourselves and we go to God, hey, listen, He listens to us. On Sunday, I, we're going through the life of Elijah. And uh, Elijah was up on the mount, and, and Ahab sent uh, the king, King Ahab, the wicked king, sent 50 soldiers and a captain out to arrest Elijah. And Elijah's standing on top of that mountain, and he says, if I be a man of God, send fire from heaven to devour these guys. And you know what happened? Boom, they were gone. 50 guys and the captain, gone. Boy, Ahab got mad. He said, send another 50 soldiers. 
And that, fifth, that, that soldier, those soldiers and that captain, uh, when he went down, the first captain said, come down. The second captain said, come down quickly. You kind of see his, his tone that the king told him, hey, you get Elijah, you bring him here. And you know what God, Elijah said? If I be a man of God, send fire from heaven, devour these guys. And you know what? Boom, fire fell and those 50 and that captain were gone. You get to the third guy. He, he wised up a little bit. You know what he did? The king sent him, and I'm sure the king said the same thing. You go get Elijah, and you bring him here. You tell him to come down now. You know what that king did? He fell on his knees, and he said, Elijah, we know that you're a man of God. <laughs> We've seen that. We just watched 102 guys just disappear. They were devoured by fire, and I'm setting in their ashes. We know you're a man of God, and we, your servants, they humbled themselves, said, hey, won't you come down and go with us? And you know what? When they humbled themselves, you know what happened? God told Elijah, okay, Elijah, now you can go with those guys. Now you can go meet King Ahab. You know what they did? They humbled themselves. Isn't it amazing? These soldiers that were probably not godly men, they certainly were not serving a godly king by any stretch of the imagination. They were serving a wicked king, but there is something to humbling ourselves. The Bible says here in verse number 17, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. I'm glad that we have a God who listens to our prayers and he hears us. And if we'll approach God in a humble spirit, and a humble attitude, understanding, God, your ways are higher than mine. I don't understand all of your ways. I confess that. But I acknowledge that your ways are the best. And God, I'm asking for you to move and work in this situation and this circumstance that, listen, God will hear our humble prayers. It doesn't mean he's always going to do what we want him to do. But listen, boy, it gets God's attention when we're humble about approaching his throne. And talking with him. What a great psalm. As we see the scrutiny of the wicked, we see the surprise of the psalmist, and then we see the, uh, all the, the supplication, really, that he asks of God, all of these things. And listen, sometimes, sometimes we just need to ask God, hey, take care of the wickedness that's going on. Um, it, it bothers me to see wickedness leading and causing error and causing other people to stumble more than it, see, than it bothers me to see people stumbling. It bothers me to see the leadership that's directing that. And so there are times, hey, pray that God will deal with that. Pray that God will eliminate that wicked, wickedness that's going in that direction and causing all these other people to be confused and stumble and fall. And uh, there's nothing wrong with praying those things. And certainly the psalm as many times does pray that uh, throughout the book of Psalms. So let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We'll have a short hymn of invitation.